Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Romans, looking at Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read the first five verses of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. In the last episode, we looked at chapter 7, and chapter 7 talked about the battle that rages within us if we die to sin but still live in a body that has appetites and desires. In chapter 8, Paul is going to go to great lengths to make sure that his readers understand that even if from time to time they lose those battles with the flesh, they have the ability to win the war if they are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In the first five verses that we read, Paul lets us know that the law had not been able to accomplish its intended purpose. Not because the law was weak or there was a problem with the law. He told us that in the last chapter. It was because of the weakness of the people. But he lets us know that God is able to accomplish all of those things through Jesus. He lets us know that Jesus became flesh, then put flesh to death, offering flesh as a sin offering. And in doing so, he enabled us to live according to the Spirit. We don't have to be driven by our physical desires and our physical appetites. We can be led by the Spirit of God. That can drive our decision-making, and in doing so, we become the people that God has called us to be. So in the next section of chapter 8, Paul's going to let us know that this Spirit that can give us the power to overcome our fleshly desires and appetites is available to all of those who are in Christ. Let's pick up the reading in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In this section, Paul lets us know that a life led by the Spirit offers an alternative to a life driven by desire. It's the difference between satisfaction and instant gratification, between peace and hostility, between life and death. Paul tells us we do not have to give in to physical desire. The Spirit in us will work to eliminate sinful behavior. And the Spirit being in us should not cause us to fear, but should excite us. Too often we're afraid we're going to miss out on something if we allow God to eliminate sin from our lives. We think somehow our lives will be diminished. And because of that, we often look as God as a prison warden who is just waiting to catch us doing something wrong so he can punish us. But here Paul says that's not the case at all. The spirit in you belongs to God. So that makes you a son of God or a child of God. You have been adopted by God through Christ. And like any good parent, God is just trying to keep us out of trouble. He's warning us about the things that destroy us and actually diminish life and ask us to trust him and do the things he's called us to do so that we can make the most of our lives. And in this next section, Paul will talk more about the implications of us being children of God. Let's pick up the reading in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here Paul tells his readers, not only does being a child of God help you stay out of trouble because you have a father telling you what to do, it also gives you an inheritance. Because you're a son of God, there's an inheritance. We are heirs of his. We are joint heirs with his son, Jesus. Paul says this adoption is complete when our bodies are redeemed or resurrected. We haven't seen this inheritance, but we have hope. Hope is this eager anticipation of something we expect to happen happening. 
even though we haven't seen it, we, we are convinced that it's going to happen. We see this in the lives of many heroes of faith throughout the Bible. We think about people like Abraham and Moses who didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promises God had made, but they lived their lives in eager anticipation of God doing exactly what he promised. Paul also lets us know that because we are participating in the life of Christ, we are joint heirs with him, we're going to be subject to persecution, to harm, to difficult times. And in those times when our flesh seems too weak to carry on, when we're tempted to give in and take a different path and not cling to the hope that we have, we can pray to God for help. And even though we may not know exactly what to pray, the spirit within us, will intercede for us so that God's will is done. All of this brings us back to the original point of this chapter, that even though we live in bodies that are dying and decaying, and we're tempted to do the things that preserve life here, God gives us the power to overcome those temptations, to live according to the Spirit, to feed that part of us that will live forever so that we can claim the inheritance this promised for us. In that way, the outcome of every circumstance we find ourselves in will be good. And Paul closes out this chapter by making that point. Let's pick up the reading in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything in all creation— will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here Paul says that God has the power to take everything, every single circumstance that we might find ourselves in, no matter how desperate or terrible, and create something good out of it. He certainly doesn't promise that we won't go through tough times. As a matter of fact, he's just said the opposite in the previous section. But he does promise us that even when the brokenness of this world affects us, even when it's in very negative ways, God will be at work to bring about something good. The outcome will always be good for those who are in Christ. And God has always planned to rescue anyone who's willing to be transformed into the image of Christ. 
He's always had that plan, that desire. He doesn't want his creation to destroy itself. He wants to rescue those who want to be rescued. God loves his creation. He loves it deeply. There is nothing that any of us can do to keep him from loving us. He's loved us so much. He's offered us a means of escape. He's offered us an alternative way of living life in this world, a way in which sin can be eliminated from our lives through the power of the Spirit and prepare us for an inheritance with Him, living with our Father for eternity. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, kalirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.